speaking through me in the voices of Dixie Cochran. Hi. And Eddie I'm not, Webb. I'm Hello. Not dead. Hang on, no, that means I'm dead. <laughs> and Matthew Dawkins. Uh, Der- Derek Akora will not be joining us. The dearly departed Derek Akora. I'm uh, oh, well, that, that actually goes quite well. Uh, I, I'm I'm sure he is uh, greatly missed. Hello. Hello, Hi. both of you. Hey. Uh, so this is our second attempt at this episode, listeners. Uh, sorry to disabuse you of any notions of organization or efficiency. We're organized. It was just an internet problem. It was. It was. Yeah. We we did our damnedest and, in fact, recorded at the time an extra long episode uh, <laughs> answering the third part in our mailbag trilogy, though I think a good ten minutes of it was me just ranting about a TV show that Dixie has seamlessly spliced into the previous week's episode. Seamlessly. <laughs> Along with a seven-minute uh, instrumental track. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because I mean, why not? <laughs> if it's not farty horns, I'm not there for it. <laughs> oh, I could put farty horns on our episodes. That'd be fun. You could. Maybe we should do that in future. Uh, I did find some more tracks from that uh, that video game, the Resident Evil Director's Cut, and posted them on our private Pathcast channel, if I recall. You should. Uh, I think so. so maybe if we run short of time on this one, uh, or rather if we run short, I will have to put some put some musical accompaniment in uh, to to entertain the listeners who are really in need of music composed by someone who is pretending to be blind <laughs> I cannot get over that deep dive I did we are talking about it I was like what's happening it, like w- what the story just gets weirder what was wonderful about that uh, Listeners, if you are unfamiliar, uh, Resident Evil Director's Cut uh, soundtrack was composed by, at the time, a famous Japanese musician and composer who claimed to be blind. And... To be fair, he's still famous, just for very different reasons now. Yes, an infamous <laughs> one. one <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we spoke about this on an episode, and as we were doing so, Dixie was doing her usual thing of looking up what I was talking about, and the layers of this story were getting peeled back because the soundtrack to Resident Evil Director's Cut is dreadful. It's really very, mm-hmm. very poor. And okay. Dixie started looking into the why behind it, and it turned out that the guy used ghost writer musicians on most of his work and on this case he didn't (laughs) (laughs) and it turned out he wasn't blind at all and also wasn't a very good composer (laughs) no no really it it couldn't have gone worse but capcom went with it nonetheless yeah so the 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 blind composer was none of the things that he claimed to be (laughs) no (laughs) neither blind nor a composer Although I was trying, you mentioned ghostwriting. I'm like, what would the term for someone who's a ghostwriter and a composer? And I thought ghost composer, and then my brain went off on a whole tangent about ghost ghost composers. Are you sure you don't have ADHD? <laughs> Maybe I do. that's a that's a very ADHD thing to happen. <laughs> like, I will be talking to my boyfriend, and we'll like be having a conversation, and one of us will have some complete non sequitur, and then 
because we both have ADHD, it's not too hard for us to be like, oh, I see where those connections happened. But for other people, it's like, here we are talking about, you know, trains. And all of a sudden I'm like, so the thing about goblins. And people are like, <laughs> what? And I'm like, trains go in tunnels, which are kind of like caves. Goblins live in caves. I was thinking about goblins. Sorry. Um, and it's just like, that's how my brain works. <laughs> well, well, I'm sure it has its uses at party games. Uh, where you do have to create those kinds of links. I actually am really good at those kind of games where I'm trying to like get someone to say a word by doing associated words. There you mm-hmm. go. So, but yeah, I don't know. A uh, ghost composer, you could still be a ghost writer. You do write music. Terrific. Yeah, I, I am imagining a Phantom of the Opera style composer at this point, and uh, this chap very much was not. <laughs> well maybe maybe it's it's after this video game project went south and then he has to hide his face and lurk amongst the, the caverns of the video game design studios he's the phantom of the studio well yeah i mean like if a you, goblin if you face. ignore that dreadful sequel to phantom of the opera we're not talking at, about that and most people do it doesn't exist yeah uh, Love should die. opera ghost must have gone on to do something with his career and i assume it was composed video game music for capcom <laughs> so that is that conundrum. <laughs> that riddle has been solved. Phantom of the Capcom. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure people are delighted to have heard us talk about that guy again. <laughs> <laughs> it's really the reason I listen to the podcast. I mean, we should always call back to different episodes. It's fun. Yeah, especially continuity. after 150 of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a, we should probably talk about that, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, who would have thought that our 150th episode, something what that one could call a an impressive measure, uh, would start with me poorly impersonating a dead medium. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think I think I could have predicted that. Okay. I I know you pretty well. <laughs> um, Either well, a dead medium or a wrestler or some kind of. <laughs> News a dead wrestler from the 1940s. Yeah, I have a very limited range. I've got to be honest. Well, it's not limited so much as a little strange and narrow. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, sorry, Rich. But yeah, 150 <laughs> episodes. What a uh, what a mark to leave in the world of podcasts. I don't believe we've been doing this for almost three years, though. That's a lot, or like three years, I guess, at this point. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. It is. Mm, How about we found stuff to talk about? Thanks, truck, for starting outside. Thanks. It's great. <laughs> it's nice and loud. Uh, mostly because of things like that. It's usually <laughs> random events that occur during the course of the, the preceding week that we can then talk about and seamlessly tie into our day-to-day working. Yeah. I remember when we first started talking about this, and we are like, every week we're going to have one episode where we talk about a product or a thing and then next week we'll interview somebody and then is the, the the structure and the format and it will not change i think it lasted maybe six episodes before <laughs> it, it, it lasted longer than that we, we we mostly alternated for a while um it was just that every now and then it was like oh so and so's not available or you know matthew's not available or eddie's not available we just have to do what we can it is um, usually matthew's not available i mean i wasn't gonna <laughs> Don't worry, I've already got a persecution complex, Dixie. Speak, speaking right. of which... Uh, Enjoy um, the bus you just threw yourself on. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, uh, uh, I remember in our last interview with uh, Ian, um, he's like, maybe someday he will get a chance to be on an episode with you, Matthew, because he feels he's not actually been on an episode with you. No, yeah. no, it's in my contract. <laughs> <laughs> you contracts? I, uh, I, I have yes, one. I have a contract. Don't you have a contract? <laughs> 
Not enough for the podcast. I need uh, to rich. Well, I've no, got, the podcast is not in my contract. No, I've got a specific one-line contract with two signatures underneath, uh, which says, I will not appear in a podcast with Ian A.A. A. Watson. <laughs> I'm glad uh, you specified as opposed to like Ian Watson, the, yeah, the novelist. <laughs> I thought it was worth specifying because <laughs> you know how the two of us have this heated rivalry. It's... Um, it's no. Oh, oh, I didn't oh. know that. <laughs> yeah, it's nightmarish. It makes every Monday meeting a a torture because I know <laughs> I'm going to have to be in the same virtual space as him, and and he know he says the same thing about me. I know he says the same thing about me because he says it to me. He, <laughs> after every Monday meeting, he sends me an email and says, "Well, you showed up again, didn't you?" <laughs> And I and I respond in kind and say, I wish, I wish you would just leave. I just wish you would leave to do the decent thing. And when you see me there in the meeting, just go. And when wow, one of my gaming clubs I used to attend, there were a couple of players where that uh, at one point one of the players showed up late. And the person running made a sarcastic remark about their running late. Uh, it was it was very flippant. It was just uh, the kind of thing. Oh, I see you decided to turn up. That kind of thing. Sure. And mm. the person who we didn't know what kind of day they had decided, ah, fuck this. Picked up their bag and just left again. Now, <laughs> wow. this then spooled out into a major drama. Really? Where neither party would apologize to each other uh, because the GM basically said, well, you not playing in that session really kind of hamstrung the session because we were expecting you to be there, your character to do things. And the player said, well, you shouldn't have spoken to me like that when I arrived. Uh, It was very rude. And the person said, well, it was just an offhand comment and I'll apologize if you want me to. Well, that's not a sincere apology, is it? Because if I'm making you apologize, you're not actually sorry. To which the person said, I know I'm not actually sorry. It was an easy, (laughs) casual remark. There was nothing villainous to it. And so this went on to the point that the club, which was pretty small, could no longer house both these personalities who, uh, one might argue, arguably uh, both liked equally. And this meant whenever one of them showed up... (laughs) If one of them was already in there and one of them came to the door, they would just look in a bit like a sad puppy and then turn around and walk away without saying anything. And this was treated as completely normal, like some kind of awful, acrimonious divorce. That's so weird. Yeah. uh, Between two people who had been perfectly good friends up until that one flippant comment. So... Yeah, uh, Ian and I don't really have a uh, dispute between us. We love each other, and uh, we hope to go on working with each other for the next hundred years. I just forgot that's where this all started. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, until one of you has one bad day, and then we know where the trajectory's going to go. Ah, well, no, that would be predictable. I think that will be between me and, I don't know, Lisa. <laughs> which which oh, God, would be, no, yeah, that would be terminal for me, given that Lisa's the person who pays me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we are on the third part of our mailbag trilogy, mm-hmm. 
And we have already answered these questions, sadly in a fashion that will never be heard, because, <laughs> as mentioned, this is our second attempt at recording. So, so now we're just going to allude to the answers and never actually readdress them. Yeah, 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 there we go. Yeah, as, you, as we said last week. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll ask you a question and you can just answer flatly, you already know the answer to that. <laughs> per my previous email. <laughs> Why do you keep asking me the same question? Are you trying to get in a fight? Uh, I'm clearly feeling a bit punchy this week. So Good, good. These, yeah. these episodes are more fun when you're punchy. <laughs> I haven't even got on to the second episode of Vincenzo yet, or rather my assessment of it, but I have watched the end of the first episode of Netflix oh, yes, of Vincenzo. Please, please update us, because I saw your update in private, and I want to see it. I want to hear it here. Well, okay. <laughs> so, after Dixie roundly assured me that Vincenzo is among the most watched TV dramas in South Korea right now, and I don't know whether I believe those figures. 15th Netflix- most watched. Yeah, well, Netflix don't release figures, so... The 15th mm. ever. No, it's, it's it's releasing on broadcast there. Oh, okay. No, well, it is made for Netflix according to Netflix, but they could be lying. They're yeah, lying. Well, yes, it is made by Netflix, but I think it is releasing as a broadcast thing. I think they produced it. How curious. Either way, either I way. I don't know. I don't live uh, in South Korea. No, well, uh, usually you're very hot on this kind of thing. So... <laughs> Either way, I yeah, I decided to watch the twenty second minute and further of the first episode of Vincenzo, and was expecting the plane to kind of the nose to turn up, as it were, uh, after mm-hmm. the dive had commenced, and it more or less didn't. The <laughs> the the fast descent toward the ground just only... Uh, well, it didn't really speed up because it seems South Korean episodes last anywhere between one hour and five minutes and one hour and 15 minutes, which is very strange. It's not the first series I've found that does this, oh, but I'm so. so indoctrinated to the British style of programming, which is either a flat 30 minutes or, or hour, mm. or the American style, which tends to be 45 minutes to 50 minutes, depending on how many commercials there are. Right. Uh, unless it's on HBO, right? And South Korea, uh, South Korean dramas, as I have found, tend to last over an hour per episode, but hmm. end at a rather approximate point, which really throws my internal pacing off. I'm not going to hold this against Vincenzo in particular. I'm going to hold this against the nation of South Korea. Oh, okay, good, good. Stop go ahead. making enemies out of South Korea. <laughs> Uh, But nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, so the plot continued. Our hero, Vincenzo, arrives in South Korea. The first thing that happens to him is he gets roofied in the back of a taxi and, yeah, and has all of his belongings stolen from him. And he's left in a, what looks like an industrial estate. So he gets to his destination, a sort of tenement block, uh, which is very run down with nothing on his back but his very expensive Italian suit. Mm-hmm. Now it transpires the reason he has made his way there is because underneath this block, some Chinese gangsters had buried some gold bars and various and such. Like, and, like you do. Yeah, yeah. And he is the co-owner of it, and he intends to get into the vault underneath and get the gold out. But to do that, he needs to destroy the tenement block. It's quite convoluted, and there's no allusion to any of this and that. Uh, first 20 minutes which is quite dynamic before the cuts huh. pie start yeah yeah he we then get introduced to everyone that lives in the block and they're all goofs basically you mm-hmm. have a, a south korean italian chef 
who I think has a painted on curly mustache because if that's his real mustache, it doesn't just doesn't look real. But he is played. He's played for. He is played purely for comedy. He goes around with a chef's hat on, saying "Mamma mia," and then when Vincenzo speaks in Italian, he doesn't know what he's saying. <laughs> You have a <laughs> martial artist who tries to show off his skills, sort of slaps the floor, and then complains about his sprained wrist for the rest of the episode. You have women sort of mooning and fawning all over Vincenzo because he's so handsome. And you have a dry cleaner who takes Vincenzo's suit and dry cleans it, shrinks it, and Vincenzo is then wearing a shrunken suit to comedic effect. So a as I said, tiny sa- suit. Yeah, That's yeah. That's the height. That's the height of comedy. Well, it's the height of South Korean comedy. Now, right now, the stop, stop maligning <laughs> South Korea, <laughs> please. Right, r- right now, the plane is it's going to crash. It's going to hit the ground. This was supposed to be a dark comedy. I was informed last week. Not dark slash comedy, but a dark comedy, and the darkness had ebbed away and been replaced only with slapstick and farce for the next forty to fifty minutes. Yeah, I think I think one of your comments in the Discord was like, "What even is this show?" Someone just made a joke, and a ricochet sound effect happened. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I forgot about the sound effects. You have sound effects like ricochets, cows mooing. Uh, bells, all kinds of things. It is like a dreadful shock DJ that you know with the sound. We, we've done this before, in fact, on the Pathcast. Yeah, we have clown horn noises and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, everything... welcome to Vincenzo in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm comfortable by this point that okay, this is a screwball comedy. I will sit back, I will watch it, I'll get to the end of the episode and I'll never watch it again. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then a <laughs> rival gang shows up at the housing block. Mm-hmm. We don't know who they work for yet, but they're saying, we want to evict everyone here because we're going to knock this block down, which implies they know about these gold bars. Vincenzo right. stands in front of the tenants with whom he hasn't really got on and said, uh-uh, this is my block. It's under my protection. And so there's lots of raised fists and the threat of a bit of a rumble. Around this time, Vincenzo, who is in a shrunken suit, receives a phone call from his business partner, also in South Korea, mm-hmm. who says that this gang who has arrived has got a contract to knock down the block and take whatever is found there. And the reason they got this, as we find through flashes, is because they kidnapped me, my wife, and my children. So you see them there, strapped to chairs with sort of socks in their mouths. Their lives are under threat. Uh-huh. There's a close-up on Vincenzo's concerned face because his business associate has clearly been threatened and forced to sign this contract. That means he can't get access to these gold bars. And he's saying, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Let me talk to them. And then all of a sudden, as this guy is driving along, a truck just careers straight into him and smashes into smithereens. And then we go back to oh, okay. Vincenzo in his shrunken suit. And the comedy. 
and he gets in a fight with these gangsters and hangs a guy over a balcony with a tape measure, the uh, dry cleaner's tape measure. It's not one of those automatic tape measures. That would have been funny because, you know, if you were hanging by that, it would have just gone all the way down to the ground floor. <laughs> See, I should be writing this. It was actually a, a, a tape measure. Uh, and he threatens the guy and ends up pulling him back up. And the guy complains and whines a lot about the bruise that's been left on his arm. And that's where the first episode ends. And so once huh. again, we have these incredibly dramatic flashes between... Well, when I say incredibly dramatic, that's probably being a bit kind. We have these jarring flashes between nonsense and implied or active violence, and then straight back to the comedy and nonsense. Now... I decided, uh, I, I hope you're all enjoying the Vincenzo podcast, by the way. <laughs> uh, there, there was not a question about Vincenzo in the mail bag. No, not at all. Well, there might have been if we had opened it back up after uh, last Friday. So, but by this point, I'm not going to say the plane stabilized. I think it was probably a sea landing, and <laughs> most of the passengers were lost. <laughs> but, but the pilot survived. <laughs> And managed to get the inflatable <laughs> raft and a few of the more oddball passengers on board and is now rowing toward, I don't know, Seoul or somewhere. Now I'm just uh, imagining you doing a rating system based on how many people survived the crash of the show. <laughs> Two out of five for survivors. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, unfortunately, no. unfortunately, the black box could not be retained, so it's only a, it's a live broadcast only. Uh, so... Either way, because there were survivors, because it wasn't just a complete inferno, no, all hands lost, I decided I would give the second episode a try. Okay. And I'm not going to recap that, because this isn't the Vincenzo podcast. That's next week. (laughs) (laughs) Tune in next week for Matthew's Vincenzo Corner. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds quite tasty. Um, Yeah, I I I would eat there. Yeah, Vincenzo's Corner. Mm. Yeah. It also sounds quite seedy. No, I think it sounds like a nice little cafe. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, in summary, it took enough swerves to retain my interest in a sort of morbid curiosity way. It didn't, it didn't grab me in the sense that, wow, this is captivating. I just want to know what's go- what on earth is going to happen. Next. Right. And maybe that's the trick behind this show. Maybe the reason people watch it is because it is so wild and out there. Uh, And again, that sounds far too complimentary for my real thoughts on it. That that they just want to know what happens next. And that's an interesting formula. It's a Jerry Springer kind of formula. It gives you just enough continuity that thinks maybe it's going somewhere and it just continues to fail to go anywhere. Yeah, and I want to know how they're going to turn a deadly serious situation like someone getting mown down by a truck into a comedy skit. Because I want to know, if are they going to do it well? Are they going to reference it during the mm-hmm. comedy? That kind of thing. So, yeah, I have watched the second episode and in brief, it maintains that kind of trajectory. I think the life raft is under assault by sharks, but most of them will get away. <laughs> Which means the third episode is the Desert Island episode. Uh, that Vincenzo isn't on a desert island. Uh, but my mental survivors are, and we'll see how many of them manage to get through that lost Gilligan's Island experience. 
Anyway. Actually, if you combined Lost and Gilligan's Island, that sounds kind of like the tone of Vincenzo. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah, a, a little. I'm waiting for the Italian Mafia to show back up again. That's what I want to see, because they were played utterly straight in their 20 minutes. And I want them to show up in South Korea and think, where the, what the hell is this place? We were never told about South Korea. And it's full of these people with painted on mustaches and bizarre eccentricities <laughs> that drive their character development. And they just think, you know what, let's just get the hell out. But hopefully that will happen in a sort of uh, Crocodile Dundee 2 way. That's obviously the best Crocodile Dundee movie. I think it might be. <laughs> I think it might be. I quite like the Colombian drug dealer thing in Crocodile Dundee 2. It's got some memorable moments. I, don't, I honestly don't remember anything about any of the movies. So. Really? Huh. There's a knife. Yeah, that's not a knife. I do remember the knife, yes. <laughs> He's got teeth on his hat. Yeah, he does. He does have teeth on his hat. And he uh, he is uh, an ignorant Australian in New York. Comedy That's ensues. Fun. Yeah. Okay, so first question from the mailbag, 25 <laughs> minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> We've got... To, we had to stretch this out because we already know the answers. Um, <laughs> starting with Eddie. Yes. Uh, outside of your work for Onyx Path and White Wolf, what projects have you worked on that you're the most passionate about? This question is by is from a fetch, I assume, made from twine, cap guts, mothballs, and right. buttons. Um, and perhaps half the audience of Vincenzo. Um, so no, <laughs> um, outside of Onyx Path, uh, honestly, I do a lot of like work for hire outside of onyx path so um it's some of the projects i've worked on they're really cool i can't talk about uh but i think off the top of my head probably the one that i, I still think fondly about is uh futurama uh, game of drones which sadly is no longer available for playing so it's one of those moments where I'm, i did a lot of work and it was really great and for several years it was available and now it's just gone you know like tears in the rain yeah um but uh, no, it was it was a cool experience, and I learned a ton on it, and I was really proud of the work I did. So I have a nice spreadsheet of my script from that still. And uh, what about you, Dixie? Uh, we'll let you know that there's noise going on outside of my apartment, so I apologize I if anything loud happens. Um, <laughs> uh, gosh, probably Heartland Unbound Second Edition. Um, I was really, really proud of the work I got to do on that, um, and I think that Chris Spivey and Darker Hugh did an amazing job. Uh, mm -hmm. on the second edition especially like yes the first edition was amazing it won a ton of ennies it was really really cool but then for second edition they just added so much more in and if you get the physical copy it's full of like little handouts and little envelopes and invitations and cool little doodads to hand to your players um and i i super enjoy that like that's that's one of the prettiest books i've worked on as far as just having a, a lot of like nifty stuff included with it and I, th I think it has like seven adventures in the back wow which is a lot for a core book. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun to work on. Uh, the, the other one I'd recommend is Parsley by Memento Mori Theatrics, um, which is a game where you play as if you are an old computer game. <laughs> like a, you know, pick pick up rock, throw rock type game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and the person running it is the parser and they, they, they act as the computer. And uh, you're encouraged to be sarcastic if people give you too complex of uh, answers. <laughs> and it's it's a lot of fun and the the 
hardback version of Parsley has like 10 or 15 games in it, I want to say. And you can play them one-on-one or you can play them with a group of 20 to 100 people. It's totally up to you how many people you want to play because you just go down the row and people can answer however they want to. Uh, so yeah, that's that's those are both really cool projects. I, I was super happy to work on. I can't remember what I answered when we did this question last week in our aborted recording, but I think there's a ten- a temptation to look at cancelled projects through rose tinted glasses mm-hmm. uh, because you'll never know how they would have landed, and of course, all the work you put in felt great at the time. Sure. And I've worked on two cancelled video games that I was very happy with. Um, and obviously didn't launch through no failure of mine. Uh, I or so they that. say. Yeah, so well, uh, that's what they told me <laughs> uh, as they kicked me out the door. Yeah, in their, in their private meetings, they were like, Matthew Dawkins sunk this ship. It's because they had that Ian A.A. Watson on the phone. Uh, <laughs> Ian, uh, are you sabotaging Matthew's career? Yeah, he said, I'm going to use all my social media clout, and he has it to ensure that this game never succeeds if you involve Matthew Dawkins. Does Why they then decided like, shit- to cancel the entire video game on that, I don't know. But Does 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 he just shitpost you into oblivion? <laughs> well, he does that anyway. <laughs> um, but beyond that, I'm very happy with the Call of Cthulhu book that I wrote for Chaosium in where all the words were my own uh, that was a huge challenge a massive undertaking and i will very be very interested to see how it lands because i know i write with a world of darkness voice because i'm kind of uh i guess uh, by by tradition now and through what i've read i structure my writing in the way that vampire the masquerade books often looked Mm-hmm. And so I feel reading it back, and I did do so recently, it feels like a Vampire the Masquerade author got hold of uh, cults in Call of Cthulhu and decided they would give it a go. But that might be interesting because the crossover hasn't happened often. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, I will, I'll will i go for Call of Cthulhu. I like how both of us technically picked Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the it, it's, is Call of Cthulhu. It's a good game. It is a good game. Eddie, are there more books planned for the Aberrant line aside from those already announced? I'm talking about big expansions like those done for Aeon Aeon. Uh, yes, um, that's actually part of the reason why uh, we brought uh, Chris Spivey, or Chris Spivey, sorry, Chris, um, Chris Allen. Chris Allen. <laughs> uh, I was still thinking about, <laughs> about, about Chris's, Farland Brown's. Yeah. Too many Chris's. Too um, many Chris, too many Chris. <laughs> no, that's why I asked Chris Allen to come on board as line developer, um, specifically so he can start working on those big support books. Um, we have talked about several. Uh, I don't know how many of them we're going to get to. Basically, uh, we're kind of what we do with Aeon, which is that uh, now that the stretch goals are more or less done or in progress, um, we're going to do uh, one or two uh, supplements, see how those do, and then if those do well, move on to a few more. Um, but uh, there are at least there's at least one coming uh, for sure because that's in progress of getting outlines. Um, I can't always say more than that. And then there are others that we have in mind. Lovely. Okay, so from Zach Rules, and this is for all of us, let's start with you, Dixie. Which Onyx Path games do you play that you do not want to work on? And conversely, which Onyx Path games have you worked on and want to play but have not had the opportunity to? Uh, I wouldn't say there are any that I play that I don't want to work on. Um, if I if I play them, it's because I enjoy them, and so I, I like working on them. Uh, 
it, it depends on the game. Some of them I like writing on. Some of them I prefer editing just so I can read the content. Uh, like I, I don't think I have the right tone to write for Changeling the Lost, but I like reading it. Uh, that said, I do think I have a decent tone to write on, you know, Puckmire and they came from, and I also enjoy working on those. So yeah. Uh, that said, what ones have I worked on and not gotten to play? There's so many because it's, 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 it's weird. Like people don't ask you to play your own games very often, right? Like sometimes yeah. they do when it's something big, like, like V5, but like some of the other smaller games, I'll see people playing it. And aside from playing, like I've, I've only played Trinity and Scion with y'all. And I would love to play like an ongoing Scion campaign. I think Scion's very cool. Uh, I've never gotten to play DRE. I've never gotten to play Legend Lore. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never technically played Monarchies of Mao. I've, I've I've run it, but I haven't played it. I've played a cat in other games, like Pirates games. Um, but gosh, there's... I would love to play Eon. Aeon. That would be fun. I haven't gotten to play that one. And I like Mass Effect. So yeah, there are, there are quite a few that I, I haven't gotten a chance to play it, um, but would like to. And how about you, Eddie? Um, honestly, Manch is pretty similar. Uh, uh, there aren't many of our games that I was like, no, I don't want to play on that. Um, I mean, there are some where it would be a little odd or weird for me to play on. Uh, like, uh, it would be hard for me to play a new innate character in that by the Masquerade, I think, at this point, because I've been working on it for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and trying to not have that knowledge in my head would be, I think, a little challenging for me. Yeah. Um, uh, as for the other question, um, the big one I've worked on that I haven't played yet is any of the They Came From games. I've actually not played a single session of They Came From. We will have to try and rectify that at our next path con, won't we? Yeah, we definitely yes. need to get you in a They Came From game because they are so fun and so silly. Um, I have... I have had a good time in every single one I've played. <laughs> the the closest I've come to even seeing a game of it played was when uh, we were at, uh, Matthew and I were both at the same convention. I think it was uh, US Games Expo, where someone came over and told him to calm down because they were being too loud because they are having too much fun. Yeah. And I, I stood up and said, fuck off. In the uh, <laughs> Pass the fucking potatoes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have form. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I was not the GM ejector from UK Games Expo that year. No. So no. Uh, there's usually at least one. Uh, so in terms of me, uh, which games do I play that I don't want to work on? I've ran quite a lot of Scion, and I don't really have a desire to work on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Although that's uh, not strictly accurate. I Neil... Price has asked me a couple of times if I'd like to work on Sion, and a part of me would like to, but I don't feel like I have the voice for it, which is mm-hmm. strange in a way because what got me into fantasy was Greek myths, and it sh- it feels like it should be my wheelhouse, but I just don't, I don't necessarily, I d- yeah, I just don't feel like I can write for it. Don't know why. That's okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, in terms of, you're fired. You're fired because you can't write on Scion. <laughs> yeah, well, when we've just become the Scion path, uh, my my goose is cooked. Uh, and in terms <laughs> of what I've worked on and want to play, but haven't had the opportunity to, I I actually run and play most of what I work on. Um, I don't think I can answer that uh, off the top of my head. 
I can't think of any games yet, uh, other than unannounced ones, that I have worked on and haven't played. I don't think uh, you've played Monarchy's Mail either. No, no. Well, I've played Pirates of Pugmire. You play Pirates of Pugmire, but I don't think that's that you play Monarchies of Mount. No, no. So, okay, fair enough. We'll, <laughs> so we'll go for Monarchies of Mount. But yeah, I would love to play Monarchies of Mount. I love the Realms of Pugmire. It is a wonderful setting. And much like uh, Dixie saying, you know, every, she's always had fun with they came from. I've never yeah. played or ran in a game of Pugmire or Pirates of Pugmire that people just haven't come away from smiling and mm. I think that's a wonderful thing especially given the last six years of uh, hell that the world appears to have been so the next question is for you Dixie <laughs> nice, nice segue yeah <laughs> speaking of world of hell Dixie thanks thanks <laughs> love you, you too yeah. Uh, so originally this question was asked in a way that I think was supposed to be a bit flip, uh, but I we've rearranged it a little. Uh, so it's tell us more about women as default player characters. Uh, so, or to put it another way, I guess how how do women work best as default player characters and how not to use them? Yeah, I mean that's something that I've talked about. Um... A little bit here on, on on the podcast, and that's I I tend to not play games where you can't play as a woman, um, unless it's a really specific character, and then I'm kind of okay with it. Like if it's a Batman game, right? Yeah. I'm okay playing as Batman in a Batman game. It's a Batman game. <laughs> that he is a person. That makes sense. Um, but he's not a real person. I don't I I I don't think Batman's real. I just feel like I should clarify that. Um, yeah, Batman's not real. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, glad, glad we sorted that out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you wouldn't know though, would you? The hush. only pe- the only people no, hush is a villain in Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, um, so yeah, games like that, games like Disco Elysium, um, I'm totally happy with the dynamic with the characters there. Uh, but ever since, I mean, I think one of the first ones to do it was Pokemon. When you got a Pokemon, it was like a boy or a girl, which mm-hmm. granted is an outdated gender binary. But for the purposes of this conversation, I'm going to be talking about it kind of that way a little bit. Um, and then I, I think it was Fable 2 that I played when I was like 19 or 20, where it said kind of like, you know, are you the brother or the sister? And I was like, what? I have a choice. This mm. is cool. And then, of course, we got to games like Mass Effect, where it's, it's a fully voiced character. And so now when I see... Not not so much indie games, because I get that indie games are on a very different budget. But when I see like big AAA games, like uh looking at you, Red Dead Redemption, right? Mm-hmm. Where like you can't be a, a cowgirl. <laughs> and I know that so someone was like, oh, gender politics of the time. And I'm like, no, screw that. Just let me be the exact same character, but a woman. Like, why is this hard? It should not be difficult. They have so much money. <laughs> They can animate a woman. I am. I'm glad that Assassin's Creed finally came around. But there were years where I was like, I can't. I don't want to play these games because I don't have the option. Even though they are making millions of dollars and putting so much crappy crunch into it, but they it, can't be crunched enough to, you know, give me a character who looks slightly more feminine. Well, yes, yeah, even stranger with the Assassin's Creed games, which I know a lot of people enjoy. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that, especially for the first few. Mm-hmm. the character was pretty much a blank slate. Yeah. So there was no good reason not to have 
a di- you know different physical models in play you know it wouldn't it wouldn't have mm-hmm. changed much also as i keep pointing out if i'm if i'm a lady assassin right hey i'm not gonna be wearing like heels because i'm an assassin i'll be wearing the soft boots that they wear and b like i won't look that different in a big ass coat <laughs> like if i put on a big ass coat with a hood i don't know that my you know gender is obvious at all right <laughs> like it would be super easy to just change the face and the voice yeah and leave the rest of it pretty much the same like maybe narrow the shoulders a little bit but like wouldn't have to change that much um so yeah like that's that's that's, that's always always bothered me and i feel like it's one of those things where we like we've, we've talked about this a lot in like uh comic books where both the women and the men are male fantasies half the time yeah now granted that that's changed a lot in recent years but up until like the late 90s or early 2000s that was definitely the case where like the the men were male power fantasies and the women were male gazy um and so seeing yourself in media is obviously really important i know a lot of people think it's maybe overblown i have heard people talk about that but really like the, the media we consume and the media that we are given uh, affects our perception of the world like that's that's a big deal and so I, I i know people who just seeing their own body type in an ad regardless of gender is mm-hmm. very cool for them. Yeah. Or seeing somebody with a disability who's a main character mm-hmm. and it's not all about their disability. They just happen to have one. Or seeing, you know, uh, Ms. Marvel, uh, you know, Kamala Khan, who's coming to uh, the Disney Plus series. Yes. That's super cool. Because yeah. I know that I've been, re- I've been rewatching the whole MCU and it, it took them a good 10 years to get some uh, non-white main characters mm-hmm. in there. I was like, wow, I forgot how white these movies were. Like, all of the people of color are, like, sidekicks and terrorists. Yeah. That's that's not great. I don't mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, yeah, like, I forgot which comedian it was. I forgot if it was Hassan Minhaj or Hari Kondabolu. Damn it, I can't remember. But... So there was a, a a conversation recently with a, a couple of uh, actors of color who were talking about how like you know step step one is you get to play the terrorist right mm-hmm. step two is you get to like be a main character but you're still the like brown friend and step three is you just get to be Tom Smith <laughs> and like Does you I... can be black or you can be you know Pakistani or Japanese and you can be Tom Smith and you can be the main character. Uh, similar, um, I recently uh, listened to an audiobook uh, called uh, Interior Chinatown, mm-hmm. uh, and it's 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 ultimately it's about um, uh, a Chinese American growing up kind of between both worlds. But um, the the main character's arc is he wants to be kung fu guy uh, because mm-hmm. he feels like that is the epitome of what he can get to. And they talk about um, that Asian dude number three is delivery person. Asian dude number two is, you know, so-and-so. Um, yeah. And so it's a lot of everyone. It's really powerful dynamic of the roles that Asian Americans have to play in society, but it's a similar thing. It's like, you know, um, you know, someone's like, what if you just don't be Kung Fu guy? And, and yeah. it's, just, it's just mind blowing. It's like, wait, wait, what? I can do that. <laughs> and like, yes. I mean, like, you know, cis straight women have been in media for a long time, but for years and years and years, especially in like comics and cartoons, they were still drawn by men. Mm-hmm. Like one of the biggest illustrations of this, in my opinion, is 80s She-Ra versus Netflix She-Ra. 
Yeah. Um, Shira, which I watched the hell out of when I was a kid because she was a powerful lady with a sword. But every single woman in that show looks like a Barbie doll. Mm-hmm. They are all incredibly attractive with very full lips and tiny waists and little tiny skirts and long legs. It's like a proto anime kind of thing almost. Or like, you know, American anime, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, and also, they all look the same when I when you go back and look at the cast. Like they all have the same face. They all have these cheekbones and these big eyes and luscious hair and you know whatever. And then, in 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 Netflix's Shira, all the princesses have different body types. They have different powers. They have different strengths. Uh, there's a character who is gender fluid, which is awesome. Who's a, who's actually voiced by a non-binary person. Um, I feel like the first time. Like, even though I had, you know, w- women heroes growing up, the first time I saw my body type on a hero was probably either Squirrel Girl or She-Ra, <laughs> like new mm-hmm. she because I am a short person who's, you know, kind of curvy. And there aren't five foot one superheroes for the most part. Right. But then we get the new she and I see someone like Glimmer, who is, I guess, a little heavier than me, mm-hmm. but she's built more like me than almost any superhero that I've seen. Um, and that's important. Like it's, it's important to see yourself being a hero. That's 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 part of why the Miles Morales Spider Man did so well. Yeah, you know, is because like the MCU for all that I, I I do enjoy it until the last few movies. It's really white. Like now that we're kind of branching out to the TV shows, we obviously have um, you know, like women and people of color as heroes, which is great. And mm-hmm. as main characters, which is great, and starring in their own series. Like, I'm really looking forward to the Ms. Marvel se- series and the Kamala Khan series. Or, sorry, and the Ironheart series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and She-Hulk, both- too. And She-Hulk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, f- I forgot who's playing her again. I always forget who's playing her. I, I-, I like, get excited, and then I forget. Oh, yeah, it's uh, Tatiana Maslany, right? Oh, right. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, I am, I am looking forward to all of these, and that's great. So women as main characters, like it just, it forces you to see something from a different perspective and whether you like it or not, like every person who ingests any Western culture, which is most people in the world have had to look at something through the eyes of a straight cis white man, um, because that is often the default. And it was at one point I just got tired of it. I was like, you know what? I... I don't want to play another, you know, game. Like, I don't play the, the the GTA games, which I used to play when I was younger because I didn't quite have this, you know, feminist stance, I guess. Um, but now as an adult, I'm, I'm kind of disgusted by them because they're so misogynistic. And then GTA 5 came out and they were like, okay, there's going to be three main characters and they couldn't be bothered to make one of them a woman. Mm-hmm. Like, really? <laughs> so, yeah, I just think that, like I said, not not shitting on end, like indie games where you have to play as a, as a specific character or anything like that. But I just think that more people should be forced to step into the shoes of someone who isn't like them. Absolutely. And I don't think that happens enough in video games, in, you know, media in general. And I think that if you mostly read, like, you know male focused superhero stories like maybe go check out something else you know go read saga go read you know once again ms marvel um because that is a really good story (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it gives you a different perspective so yeah that's that's why i think it's important um 
I don't think it always needs to be that way, obviously. I would love to have, you know, all genders represented all the time, which I think we're getting closer to in some games. Like, look at Animal Crossing, right? They they didn't put pronouns in besides they. Mm-hmm. So everyone is they, and that's fine. And you can change your little avatar to look however you want. So mm-hmm. I know a lot of my non-binary friends felt very seen by Animal Crossing because <laughs> they were like, oh, I can look like, you know... A, a long-haired princess one day and a lumberjack the next day and it's fine it's great and mm-hmm. that's that's fun um but yeah i just think more games need to get on with this like one of the things that annoyed me about cyberpunk 2077 that i, I heard was that your gender is tied to your voice mm-hmm. and i had, vocal stuff is really difficult for trans people yeah like that's that's hard and you know some of my trans friends have voices that match their genders and some of them don't quite but if you want to make yourself in a game like especially a game that's like you could have any genitalia like however you want you know whatever it is to to tie your pronouns to your voice and to all and to not have gender neutral pronouns is so weird to me like why are you making this game where you can look however you want you could have green hair and tattoos and a beard and you know wear this and have whatever and 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 then you're locked into a gender binary based on your voice that's weird. Don't do that. <laughs> so yeah, that's 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 my rant about um, feminism and games and media. And I could go on about this for forever because I listen to a lot of podcasts on the subject. So I'm not going to. <laughs> but I'm happy to talk about it in the Discord or whatever if anybody wants to follow up. Thank you very much, Dixie. And the next question is from Connor C. And this one's directed to Eddie by my choice. How do you get into playing D&D, a.k.a. I want to start but don't know how or any of the rules? Um, so it really depends on kind of how you learn. Um, one thing that I've come to understand over the years is that really at the end of the day, um, you're learning to play a game much the same way that, you know, you're learning to any other skill. Um, so the, the obvious one is like, if, if you learn by reading, um, then and read, read the book, um, recognizing that again, uh, game books are really more like textbooks than normal prose fiction. Yeah. Um, so you should jump around and cross-reference and, and you know, even put notes and margins if that helps you. Uh, if you watch by doing, or, or if you learn by watching, I should say, um, there's plenty of actual plays. And, and try to shoot for ones that talk about um, the rules as they're playing because there's some actual plays that much more focus on the fiction. Um, so instead, try to find you know, ones that talk about you know, learn to play kind of things. And there's plenty of them out there. Um, and then if you learn by doing, then just find someone to grab a, a jump start and just start playing. Uh, most of the time, especially if you're playing something like a jump start, you know, it's an introductory project by design. And so it's assumed that most people playing it probably aren't familiar with the rules. And so it's okay if you ask questions during that game session, because that's what those kinds of introductory products are for is, is to learn how to play. Uh, so just pick one of those. Um, and, you know, uh, for D&D specifically, um, I don't know of any good introductory products offhand, um, but uh, Pugmire, which is kind of D&D adjacent, um, uh, I do recommend um, Pan's Guide for New Pioneers because that was specifically designed to help people who have both no experience playing and no experience running. So it, it's it's uh, uh, very good for here's a page spread of what you need to do. And then another page spread, here's explaining the rules uh, and then the fiction. So it, it, it's meant to be very clear. I'm like, okay, everything I need is in this short four to six page 
grouping and that can move on to the next thing in those four to six pages. So it was very yeah. much designed to help people handhold them through here's basic dice rolling. Now here's advanced dice rolling. Here's combat, so on and so forth. I think you mean paw hold. Oh, yeah, thank you. Of course, obviously, I was, I was <laughs> horribly mistaken. Uh, so I'm going to answer the next one. Oh, Actually, right. no, I'm not. Dixie, I'm going to ask you. Aha! Didn't expect that. Aha! Uh, this is from Mar. This is from Mar Willy. Uh, in my older age, I have found the metaphor for vampires, sexual assault slash violation of consent, has become harder to ignore. For example, see Vampire the Requiem, the kiss, the assault. How do you handle these and similar issues at your tables when they feel hard baked into the framework of the game? So, I mean, I don't, I obviously don't want sexual assault in my games. Um, and so I don't, I, I tend to hand wave it more than anything else. Like, it's like, okay, you have to feed, you go feed, now you're back. All right, yay. Right. Uh, willing victims, uh, thralls, uh, you know, people who have chosen this. Um, and that's, that's a, a personal thing. I know that it can be. I have, I, I have played vampire games where it's described very graphically, but not in a sexual way, yeah. which is the other thing is I think you can, yes, it is a violation of consent because you're a vampire because you're a bad guy. Like you're not right. a good person. And even if you're trying to be kind of a good person, you're, you're a vampire and you have to eat people to survive unless you want to do bagged blood, which doesn't give you as much or animal blood, which is also kind of cruel, honestly, depending on the animal. Um, you know, if you're, like, taking a sip from a cow and then leaving them alone, that's one thing. But if you're, like, you know, draining cats, that's also kind of gross. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like, I, my my group tends to, tends to hand wave it when we play. Like, we go out, we do our, like, feeding rules, you know, and that tells us if we did it or not. And we don't describe it. We don't linger on it. Um, now, playing a vampire as a survivor is a whole different thing, too. Uh, and that really depends on how much you want to explore that. Like, do you want your vampire to just be, you know, a blood drinking superhero for the most part? That's fine. Play play that way if you want to. But if you want that super street level personal horror, then yeah, that, 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 that could be interesting to explore. I don't think it has to involve sex if you don't want it to. No. I, I know it can, but I don't think it has to. Like, I don't I don't enjoy sexual content in my games um, of, 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 of any kind. Um, so yeah, I, I tend to just not, not play around with it. I know some people who do and who enjoy that part of it and, you know, not in like a, you know, fetishy way, like in a storytelling way and it doesn't bother them. Um, I read novels that have sexual assault in them and because it's a novel, I don't get bothered by it because I'm like, these aren't real people. Uh, but when it's, when it's me in the, in the driver's seat, I don't really want to play. So right. yeah, we, we just don't do it personally at my table. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, as a storyteller, who does tend to role play out feeding scenes if all the players are happy with it? Not, I don't linger on it as a sexual event. Uh, mostly because even when players uh, express that they're happy with that, I find that when it comes to it, um, the subject of sex, especially when it comes to role playing, um, well, it strikes me as, and I'm sure it strikes most people, as a very private experience. Uh, you don't have to be prudish to think that. And so a lot of the time when you're role-playing with people, you're not necessarily role-playing with people who you've been deep and meaningful with. And so starting right. to describe things in sexual ways um, can make them uncomfortable, make you feel uncomfortable. 
so uh, what I do with the feeding is tend to put more emphasis on the choice between violence and, and consent, uh, which can still be, of course, utterly horrific to roleplay. But I like to have players weigh up whether it's worth taking on retainers and herds and willing vessels and see blood dolls who want to experience this kind of thing, rather than just preying on the person who happens to be sleeping in the nearby alley and rendering them, you know, catatonic or brain dead because you've drained too much with their blood. Uh, I like it as part of the plot that there's a cost for feeding, that being a vampire is hard. But I also acknowledge that that isn't for everybody. So I would suggest talk it over with your group and see how they want to do it. Um, that That's generally a good answer to most questions. Mm-hmm. Um, pope Vlad, the best pope, asks... <laughs> Are there plans for Onyx Path to do any more Vampire 5th Edition books after the supplements the Cults of the Blood Gods are released? I'll answer that one nice and quickly. Uh, we have nothing else on the schedule. That doesn't mean we won't do more Vampire 5th Edition books, but ultimately it is down to Paradox uh, to decide. It's the same as my Chronicles answer from the second episode. Yep. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, there's like five questions about these lines, and I'm like, it's all to Paradox. I don't control this. Um, yep. I would like to do more Vampire 5th Edition books. I yeah, like I would love edition. it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we know who to talk to. <laughs> uh, the Nargai of Immaculate Chaos asks us, and specifically oh you in this case, Eddie, do you feel the story path system being developed by Onyx Path is poised to become the backbone of future editions, or do you think it is more of a freeform standalone system like Epic and Fudge? And by the way, we asked this last time when our recording failed, and I have to say that I haven't seen Fudge referred to in such a long time because it was largely supplanted by Fate. So yeah, nice, no, that's nice true. Actually, memory. I had thought that. Uh, I, I, and for until fairly recently, I actually had the big hardback Fudge book. I don't actually I, know what Epic or Fudge are because I'm a baby. So actually, <laughs> I'm actually familiar with Epic, but um, Fudge is the precursor to Fate. Um, I know what Fate is. There you go. Me. Uh, but to answer the question, uh, the answer is kind of neither, uh, in the sense that um, if you're thinking, oh, will Story Path be the new editions of things like Chronicles of Darkness or World Darkness? No. Um, Story Path's going to be for Onyx Path owned games or specific licensed games that are opting into using Story Path as a new system. Uh, but neither is it really planned to be a standalone game. Uh, right now, how we've been using it is that each game adapts and adjusts story path to use it the best way possible. So like a game like Trinity, which is a sci-fi game that has a little more uh, a texture and depth, uh, is going to have a different approach to story path than something like They Came From Need to See, which is also a science fiction game, but we can all agree it's not exactly based on texture and depth. Um, it's more about doing silly, campy stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, you. how dare I? How dare I say this thing is funny? Your game is not serious, Matthew. You're not a serious game developer. No. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but Eddie has been telling me that ever since I started. Right, exactly. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, you understand your niche. I mean, Becca's Jihad Diary is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost inadvertently much more hilarious. But he pulled me right. into his office. He was surrounded by a haze of cigar smoke. He turned around in his chair and he said, he, uh, he, and he said, listen, kid, I like you. You got guts. You got spunk. But but you ain't got the right kind of attitude for Onyx Path. Be it, kid. 
get out of here, hit the bricks. And, <laughs> and that's how it went. And that's when I knew we would be starting a beautiful relationship. I remember that very differently, honestly. Um, I think I said Moxie, actually. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a pipe, not a cigar. Right, exactly. Come on. You're, Come on. You're, yeah. you're, yes. you're not a Philistine. It's um, no, a Sherlock reference, then. Which... Also, the Beerstrom pipe was never in the canon either. But anyway, I know, I, 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 know, I, I know, and I wanted to see what you would say. I, I was bet, like, I bet Eddie was poking that pipe in my direction for emphasis. Yes, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the smoky bit. I forget what it's called. Um, anyway, sorry, <laughs> Pat. No. Um, so uh, it, it, it's it's going to be right for the time being. Um, we're we're going to keep adapting it. Um, one of my. Uh, uh, Long-term projects now that we have several versions of StoryPath out there um, is I have some internal documentation I want to update to try to come to a sense of what uh, not only not necessarily core StoryPath is in the sense of there's one true way of using StoryPath, but rather finding all the different permutations and documenting all of those. And then as future editions of the games that use StoryPath come out, um, we can start to pull from previous games that did a certain thing well and then decide if we want to use that or not. And I think after a little bit of, of that kind of aggregation over the next five or 10 years, there will be a, a, a slightly more cohesive version of story paths. Um, but right now I'm not anticipating us ever doing a, this is the only way story path is to ever be run. Yeah. Okay. So next question from Mr. Riker is. Mr. Riker. Yes. I'll say it every single time. Like Mr. Riker. Mr. Riker. Mr. Riker. <laughs> Uh, so we'll start with you, Dixie. If you had to choose to run or play only Chronicles of Darkness or World of Darkness for the rest of your days, which would you choose and why? Uh, I hate questions like this. Okay, um, Eddie. No, 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 I got it. Uh, I'd, I'd honestly probably play Chronicles. Um, I like World of Darkness, but I was never heavily invested in the like overarching plot of Vampire. I just like playing with my groups. Um, and, you know, if it, if it came into the to our plot, that was fine, but I didn't really like follow it as much as a lot of people did. Yeah. Um. And for you know, Chronicles, like I, I, I prefer Lost to Dreaming for Changeling. Um. I haven't played Mage of the Awakening, but it seems very cool, and I, I, I like Mage of the Ascension, but I haven't played it in a while. Um. And then also, you've got like Promethean and like Geist and some of the other ones that don't get as much love. Hmm. Uh. I. I haven't even had the chance to play Melmay 2E yet, so I don't want to like give up my, you know, <laughs> Chronicles of Darkness before I get to play Melmay or Deviant. So yeah, no, I think I I think between the base Chronicles of Darkness and then just all the other books that we have, you can do just about anything with it. Um, and World of Darkness is, you know, kind of restricted to the splats. Also, the crossover possibility for Chronicles, I think, is better. Well, thanks to the wonderfully developed Contagion Chronicle. Exactly. <laughs> I uh, thought I thought you were about to praise uh, Rose on the Chronicles core. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that too. And, uh, and what about you, Eddie? Um, I would also say Chronicles Dark just for a lot of the same reasons. Um, but also for me, uh, I've been playing World of Darkness since the '90s, um, and until past few years, pretty nonstop. So I mean, playing any game for twenty years, mm -hmm. I feel like I've explored all the stories I really feel like I want to tell. And there's a couple of yeah. edge cases. Like I haven't really played much like Orpheus, for example. Um, mm -hmm. so there's like a couple of things like if, if the right game came up, I'd be like, Oh yeah, sure. I'd give that a shot. Um, but overall, I, 
I feel like there's a lot more unexplored depth for me in Chronicles of Darkness. So I probably want to prefer yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's, that's part of it too. So I've, I've been playing Vampire the Masquerade since I was 14 and I'm 36. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've been playing for a, a long time as well. And uh, I, I was never a big werewolf fan in general. Like I'm, I'm like not the game. I'm not a fan of werewolf as a concept. <laughs> like that's just not something that I'm super into. Um, so get, like, the, the the only thing I'd like to pay, play in Werewolf the Apocalypse that I've never gotten to play is a Camazots. <laughs> because oh. I want to explode into a cloud of bats. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah, I'm yeah. shocked. I'm shocked. Uh, to hear I'm this. fairly certain one of the vampires in They Came From Beyond the Grave can do that. So, you know, if you, we play Beyond the Grave and you happen to be turned into a vampire, you take that special rule and fly. I'm pretty fly sure I wrote protest. that vampire because I wrote all the vampires on Beyond the Grave. I think you did. <laughs> but are any of those vampires a miserable pile of secrets? Uh, I mean, they all could be. Depending <laughs> the on how you the aristocratic them. vampire seems like a miserable pile of secrets. That's fair. Yeah, okay. yeah. The, the, the entire reason, this is like a total tangent, I don't care. But the, the entire reason that I took all three vampires was because I thought the same person should write all three vampires. Yeah. So they would be distinct. And also, I decided, I, I, I kind of realized that at, at that point, I hadn't written for V5. So my brain, I was like, well, if I'm going to get to write a vampire... Might as well take this one, you know. So mm. I got to write Dracula. That was cool. Yeah, but yeah, so he, no, I would. He's I would, a charming villain. Yes, he is. I love him. But yeah, no, I, I would definitely Chronicles. Yeah. And so when we recorded this last, I said Chronicles of Darkness, and Are you a part of me. Your answer? Well, a part of me still thinks that because I've been selling off a lot of my role playing games recently. And I am more attached to my Chronicles of Darkness books than I am to my World of Darkness ones, which strikes me as odd, almost. But on the other hand, I am a huge fan, of course, of Vampire the Masquerade and Wraith the Oblivion, and Werewolf the Apocalypse, for that matter. Uh, So, mm, it's a hard one to decide, but I think I will probably just lean into Chronicles of Darkness because there there are more playable splats, because of the crossover possibilities, uh, because Mm -hmm. it will feel fresh, and because I will... Although there is a meta plot in Chronicles of Darkness, despite what people say, it does feel like I can more readily leave an imprint on Chronicles than on World. Um, for my players without expectations. So, yeah, uh, that's what I'd go for. So we're down to our last two questions. We're overrunning because of Vincenzo! Well, and so, also it's our 150th episode, so it's like, you know, yeah, we, can, so, we can stretch out a bit. Yeah. Uh, in that case, one hour and 50 minutes, here we come. So... <laughs> uh, and and from, that, from now, it will be an added minute for every episode. So Jim <laughs> Dealey asks, and I will pitch this to the group and see who answers first. When looking at community contents created in the StoryPath Nexus and other Onyx Path related community content programs, e.g. the Storyteller's Vault, what do you look for in content produced that makes you want to work with a content creator as a freelancer? I mean, I think the main thing is that they get the, the voice and the, the mood of the line that they're working on. Um, it, it doesn't have to be the, you know, most perfectly laid out or illustrated thing because that's not what we're looking for in writers. Now, of course, if we're looking for a layout artist, <laughs> yeah. then we do care that you can do that. <laughs> but like, as far as writers go, I care way more that somebody grasps kind of what makes the game special mm. um, and also grasps the voice that we use because people that go, I mean, 
we've we've talked about this in other episodes where each game line has a voice. The individual authors don't usually get to have voices. Um, and so if somebody gets the game line voice, that's really, really good. Um, and also, you know, clean copy, like a typo here or there, I'm not going to hold against you because a lot of people proofread their own work because they don't have, you know, the, the money to pay somebody right. to uh, to edit it, which is totally fine. Like, I would rather you not not do that than not pay somebody. Um, but yeah, like, like I, I think that's that's a big part of it. Just knowing how to write well, knowing how to, you know, uh, capture whatever you're working on. What about you, Eddie? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, a lot of that I agree with. Um, uh, I would also say that... Uh, just the act of finishing something is actually a pretty huge indicator. Uh, there are lots of people who say some form of, you know, I've always wanted to write for tabletop games, and then they find out it's actually work, and they don't want to do it anymore. Uh, and I'd rather you find that out on a community content project than on a project that we have to try and sell. Uh, so just by that you finish one and you put it out there and people buy it, uh, it shows, okay, you can see a project through to completion, you now recognize some of the, the basic stuffs of, of working on a project professionally. So yeah, just even making one is already a, a step in your favor. Mm-hmm. And for me, I would say that uh, oh, everything, all of the above, uh, plus if you are ever submitting work to us, uh, as in you want us to review your writing uh, with the intent of hiring you for a book, if you have written something for community content, please tell us. Please write a covering letter. Please do a paragraph or two before your writing sample that lets us know about your community content because it is incredibly handy for us to be able to review it and get a good grasp of mm-hmm. your strengths. And if you think that what you have written for Story Path Nexus is really good, then submit a thousand words of that. You, if, yes. if we haven't seen it before, then you that is a writing sample that we can review. It's already, you know, essentially mm-hmm. under contract by the fact that it's on Story Path Nexus. So it's it's just a good idea. It might save you some work, and you know, honestly, it can't hurt. Yay. Promote yourself and feel confident in your work. If you think you if you think it's good and there's a good job, someone else will. Yeah, that, that, that really is the other part of it is if you've written something and you think it's good enough to write for official stuff, then put it like, please submit it to us. Yeah, because we don't go through and like comb storytellers vault or, no. you know, Canis Minor or any of those. Like we will look at things. We'll kind of skim them a little bit here and there. But when I look for a new writer, I go I go to our submission pile. I don't go to STV. Mm. Um, or or Story Path Nexus or any of those. So if you, you know, you can link to your work there and then we can go take a look at it um, in your submission. So yeah. See, on the other hand, I do look on community content just to be contrary. And but okay, I not, don't not, not everyone does. No, no, I don't look on community content specifically for writers, but I may hear of a book and think, oh, who's this writer? And then reach out to them and say, Hey, have you ever considered writing Phoronix Path? If so, please send a submission. Mm-hmm. Um so last question is from David Fuller, and I will ask this from each of you. Eddie, what is a TTRPG you feel more people should play? Um, I'm going to adjust this a little bit because it's not technically a tabletop role-playing game, but I do think it's a game that more people should be playing. Uh, and that is Day Profundus. Um, it is a letter writing game ostensibly set in the Call of the Cthulhu universe. Uh, but basically what you do is you just write physical letters to somebody else's playing 
as your character. And then they write your letters back and you establish between yourselves, like, you know, what time period we're setting in and what are the basics of it. But it just becomes kind of a collaborative writing exercise. But also because you're physically writing letters, ideally the goal is to get them as close to actual props as they would be in that collectively decided time period. And, and the game specifically encourages you not to use like email because it's just to try to make artifacts as well as story. And the balance of making it's, it's kind of live actiony in that respect, but also it's, it's you know, you're, you're waiting weeks and weeks and weeks to get a response, which is very similar to what the characters would be feeling in those circumstances. There's a lot of interesting stuff that's very, it's subtly happening beneath the surface mm. that gets lost. And it's, it's, it's such a simple game. Like I've described to you pretty much all the rules of the game, but um, it's, it's, it's so subtle and, and, and obvious. And yet there's a lot of interesting stuff in there that I think more people would benefit from taking a look at. Totally. How about you, Dixie? I have two answers because they're very different games. Okay. Uh, the first one is Cavaliers of Mars, which is one of our games. It's by the amazing Rose Bailey. Um, it is. It is a super cool setting. The dice system is really nice. The drama system is really cool. Uh, it is a big adventure game. It, it can have almost any tone you want. You can do a political game. You can do a romance game. You can do a swashbuckling game. Um, and it's set in the last days of Mars on a dying planet. Um, all of the, the, the peoples of Mars are interesting. The artwork is beautiful. Like, I... I was honestly kind of surprised that one didn't run away like Pugmire did because mm -hmm. I just think it's a brilliant game and I don't understand why I don't see more like actual plays of it. Like every now and then one will pop up, but it's such a fun game. Like who doesn't want to be a, a cavalier with a big hat and a laser pistol and like a rapier and, you know, right? swinging from chandeliers to save the prince of, of Mars, you know, like, I don't know. It just, it's, it's a cool game. Um, I did work on... The adventure, like one of the adventures for it, uh, which is a, a, a separate book, but I love the core book. I got to edit it. I think it's amazing. It was the first panel I ever did at Gen Con was talking about Cavaliers of Mars with uh, with with Megan Fitzgerald. Right, because uh, you had to be emergency rose. Yes, yes, I was emergency rose. Um, the amount of people that came up to me and saw my, my Gen Con badge that said Rose Bailey and were like, are you Rose Bailey? I was like, no, she's a foot taller than me and blonde. Um, <laughs> I look nothing like Rose Bailey. Uh but I, I'm, I'm using her badge. Either way, though, I, I, I love Colors of Mars. And then for all my fellow uh, period drama nerds out there and Jane Austen fans and Regency romance novel fans and the like, I have been playing Good Society recently, which is a Jane Austen game, but we are setting ours in the Regency period. So you can you can play with the setting as much as you want. Um, you collaborate a lot in the beginning to build your world. And that's whether or not you want to have like classic gender structure or all genders are equal or uh, women are actually the dominant gender, you know, like they're the ones who ask men to dance, this, that, and the other. And you get to pick what you want with all of with all the rules of society. There's also a magic supplement if you want to add on that layer of it being like kind of an urban fantasy game um, that's still set in, you know, Victorian or Regency or whatever times you want to set it in. And the game has a bunch of phases where part of it, like you're at the party and you're talking and there's drama and you're all, you know, you, you, you've all got secrets on each other and you've all got these ties to different people. And then there's a letter writing portion of the game, which is really cool. And you go back to like an action scene and it's, it's just a really awesome game. And uh, if you get the box set that comes with everything, it, it, it's got these beautiful character cards. It's really well illustrated. Like it's, it's just a charming game that doesn't have as high of stakes as, you know, 
adventure or vampire games. Like really, a lot of the time you're trying to, you know, either get married or you're playing the dowager and you're trying to marry off your kid <laughs> because that's a lot of what the drama was in society in those days. But it's 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 fun. I like it. You can play a really fun Jane Austen type game with it. It looks like they just came out with the LARP version too. Yes, yes, there is. There there are LARP rules. I obviously haven't played that because there have been no LARPs for the past year. Right. Um, but I would not be opposed to playing it because I am a big, as, as everybody who listens to this knows, I'm a big Regency romance and that that kind of thing fan. So, yeah. Huh. You could play Bridgerton. You could play Downton Abbey. You could do all kinds of things with it. And my personal preference for a game most people or more people should play is Pirates of Pugmire. I know I mentioned it earlier, but uh, there are a few games that have been such a joy to work on as Pirates of Pugmire, and I think it blends the realms of Pugmire and the swashbuckling heroism and as well as a bit of rascally behavior of piracy perfectly. I am just so happy with the way that book looks and reads. I think it contains a heck of a lot of playable information and uh, and information for your guide. I think it's just a wonderful book, and I would love it if more people gave it a try, uh, whether it's as an entry to Pugmire or Monarchies of Mao, or to supplement their existing campaign. Uh, so that's what oh, I would recommend. Thanks. That's all right. Uh, I, I'm 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 really happy with my work on that book, and mm-hmm. I think everyone else did a fantastic job too. So even Dixie. Aww, you like my lizards <laughs> and my burbs. 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 So, that is the end of the mailbag, and we can only hope that this time it uploads successfully, because if not, we're not going to have an episode this Friday, and you won't hear this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can talk some behind-the-scenes stuff, and that's that I have the most stable internet of the three of us, so we have switched hosting duties over to me. Yeah. But, um, so hopefully, no more lost episodes, because unlike Eddie, I am hardwired into the internet. I, I, I don't have a Wi-Fi issue going on. Yeah. Bodily hardwired into the internet. Also, yes. we we have ludicrous upload and download speeds at our house. I'm assuming it's because we're on some kind of DC area internet. Mm-hmm. But nice. holy crap, like, <laughs> I have too much internet. I share some of it. <laughs> yeah. I, have, I, have, I, have, I wish I could. Like, I have, I have too much internet sometimes. I have no idea why we have, like, business level internet, but we do. That's the centralization of government there, causing corruption along the cyber highway or whatever the hell it's called. Anyway, (laughs) cyber highway. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Wow, that's an information information superhighway. Information superhighway. Anyway, so Eddie, if people wanted to find you online, where would they go? Uh, these days, good luck. Um, I'm kind of off social media for a bit. Um, but if you come to uh, pugstudy.com, that will uh, give you access to contact me. Um, and otherwise, these days, honestly, I'm hanging out on our Discord more than anyplace else, really. Yep. Uh, yeah, do stop by the Onyx Path Discord. And Dixie, what about you? Uh, you can find me pretty much anywhere as Dixie Cyanide on all social media. Uh, DixieCochran.com is my website. And uh, yeah, I'm on the Discord. I'm around. I'm hanging out. I'm in the Exalted Discord uh, with a fully Japanese name right now, um, just to be confusing. But the same icon. <laughs> well, okay. So I, I, I've got to explain this. So for April first, yes, the Exalted Discord <laughs> yeah, okay, changed all their channels to Esperanto, 
And they had a big announcement in both English and Esperanto wow. that they were going to be an Esperanto server from now on. It was their April Fool's joke. Um, and as soon as they did this, everyone mm-hmm. in the Discord started talking in whatever language they knew that wasn't English. And it got kind of cool, actually. There were people having like a whole conversation in Portuguese. Some of us were, 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 were typing in Japanese. There were people talking in Spanish, people talking in German. Uh, some some people actually going to like Esperanto translators and typing in 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 Esperanto and a lot of like everyone just started going to either their native language or whatever other language they knew and it was really cool for like one solid day we were a completely like multilingual server and I've just kept my name in Japanese since then because I kind of like it but uh but yeah it's nice. it it was a fun April Fool's joke that actually showed how diverse the exalted community was and it made me really happy that is that is the best kind of April Fool's joke yeah yeah like it was lovely all of us were having a great time everyone just jumped on doing the a bit like at least in the you know general channels and everything Mm -hmm. and it was just it was just really cool to see people just having conversations in their native languages uh and not not worrying about the fact that some of us couldn't understand them you know Mm. i liked it made me happy and as for me, they can find me on MatthewDawkins.com. They can find me on Twitter as DawkinsMP. And they can also find me over on the Onyx Path Discord. And I shouldn't fail to mention the fact that as well as the adventure Kickstarter that is still ongoing, we also have the backer kit open for M20 Victorian Age or Mage yep. of the Ascension uh, Victorian Age. and Or Mage of the Ascension 20th Anniversary, anniversary Edition, Edition Victorian, Victorian Age. Age yes. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it's called. Also, the adventure Kickstarter is still going on. Mountain Dew, KFC, Honey Mustard, Gotta Do It, Gotta Do It, Skittles, pre-show main event, I what think is... What is happening right now? And that's that's usually... Stroke? Well, WrestleMania's coming up, you see, and usually it's covered with sponsors, and so you've got uh, someone like Michael Cole on the commentary desk saying, Welcome to your Mountain Dew, KFC, Honey Mustard, Gotta Do It, Gotta Do It, Skittles, pre-show main event. It's, what? Sorry? What does happen? <laughs> <laughs> Um, See, I'm just thinking like so, I was, in my head. I was going longing, rusted, seventeen daybreak for yeah. Snide. No, that's <laughs> I, I. I was also doing that. I was like, I was like, are we activating the Winter Soldier right now? Like, <laughs> uh, I've got to uh, pay daybreak my one freight car. Pay my dues to the good folks of OSW Review who always uh, make that joke. I am merely stealing from them. Uh, But that's a fantastic wrestling podcast that you should be listening to, even if you don't like wrestling. And otherwise, I will close us by saying, many worlds, one Resident Evil director's cut. (laughs)